Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, brought to you today by Figs. Show how much you care for your doctor and other medical professionals this holiday season. Get them a gift at Figs, and Figs is helping you out with 15% off your first purchase by going to wherefigs.com, promo code martini. More on that in just a little bit. Jim, we have no good martinis again today. We do have uh, bad, crazy, and crazy, however. While Election Day is almost still a year away in the United States, a little less than 11 months now, it is Election Day in the United Kingdom. Parliamentary elections, we'll see how they turn out here in a few hours, whether the conservatives stay in power, who they might or might not have to partner with, and ultimately what happens with Brexit and a bunch of other issues. But of course, as the campaign goes on, we're hearing a lot from the Labour Party and uh, Jeremy Corbyn would be the prime minister if the Labour Party were to uh, claim the majority. And Jeremy Corbyn is uh, a terrible uh, person to have in power in the UK in any sort of situation. Uh, he's far, far left. He's also pretty much proven to be an anti-Semite, which we'll get into more in our second martini. This is AOC. She is tweeting. She's tweeting a video from Jeremy Corbyn where he's clearly talking about income inequality and so forth. And AOC tweets out, this video is about the UK, but it might as well have been produced by the United States. The hoarding of wealth by the few is coming at the cost of people's lives. The only way we change is with a massive surge of new voters at the polls. UK vote. So, Jim, you've got the far left wrapping their arms around Jeremy Corbyn, which for a number of reasons is really, really bad. And I could have sworn there's a Judiciary Committee going on right now about uh, people interfering in other people's elections. So uh, what do you make of all this? Yeah. So first of all, the, the idea that figures in one party of one side of the political spectrum would be more aligned with uh, members of another country's party that's in that same part of the political spectrum shouldn't shock us. And I don't know if it's, um, while it's usually a, a wise decision to say, well, you know, the decision of who the British people want to elect is the best left to the British people, et cetera, et cetera. It's not surprising that Republican presidents and Republican of officials would probably be more uh, ideologically aligned and more frequently in agreement with members of the UK Conservative Party. Same thing for Democrats and the Labor Party, you see this over in the Israeli elections. And in fact, I mean, like where you really want to get into a more kind of a, a, a you know, more controversial area was when you have uh, folks like uh, back in, I guess it was back in the 90s, pollsters and campaign consultants for Bill Clinton working to defeat uh, Bibi Netanyahu. And the first time Netanyahu was elected uh, Israeli prime minister, Netanyahu kind of took that personally. <laughs> Netanyahu was like, well, okay. If your best buddies are working to defeat me, you are not on the same page as me, and I don't have to really, you know, bend over backwards to agree with you. Now, on the one hand, Bill Clinton doesn't, you know, completely control everyone who works for him. But if he picked up the phone and said, hey, I'd really rather you didn't get involved in that Israeli election, there's a good chance that his uh, former campaign workers would agree with him. So on the one hand, does, does AOC have every right in the world to say, yes, I prefer this candidate over another in the UK election? Sure, she's got every right to do it. Not sure it's wise. But the other thing, and I wrote about this at considerable length in today's morning jolt, Jeremy Corbyn is, is anti-American. And I don't mean this in the terms of like, oh, you know, he, he disagreed with it. No, no. The Washington Post editorial board has come out and said, look, you look at his positions. He opposes the United Kingdom having the relationship that it does 
with the United States. He's also vehemently anti-Israel, which we'll kind of get into a bit more there. Um, he has found, he, he finds Hamas to be likable, Hezbollah to be likable, unsurprisingly a huge fan of the regime over in, uh, in Venezuela. Basically, anytime there is a pro-freedom side and an anti-freedom side, he finds a way to make the argument of, oh, we should be standing with the anti-freedom side. He basically said U.S. troops fighting in Iraq and the Iraqi insurgents were basically the same. He said that uh, the U.S. offensive in Fallujah was as bad as the um, Islamic State. Um, he blamed Washington for the civil war in Ukraine, not Moscow. And I think the thing that really gets me is this is when he was doing an interview on Iran's state television channel. He called the U.S. raid that killed Osama bin Laden a tragedy. This man is not on our side. And of course, none of this was enough to make Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez say, oh, we can't work with a guy like this. This is a guy who's going to blow up our existing relationship. This guy is the bad guy. In her mind, Boris Johnson, goofy haircut and all, he's the bad guy. Jeremy Corbyn is the one who gets it because he says all these cliches about the poor and all that kind of stuff. Very revealing, I think, Greg. Does it suggest to you that uh, AOC and the squad and so forth are an outlier with uh, how far left they are and uh, seeing common cause with Jeremy Corbyn? Or is that where the Democratic Party is drifting? Well, I don't expect she'll have any serious consequences for this. I, I One of the things that I think is a kind of a subtext of this is that we could have several good martinis tomorrow. I think Boris Johnson's going to do pretty good today. Um, and in fact, probably within a few hours after we finish taping, we will start getting some results in here. But it's not guaranteed. And because of a variety of issues, he's putting together, you know, if you don't win a majority in the, in the UK parliament, you have to put together a coalition. And for a variety of reasons, including past stances that... Uh, uh, Johnson has taken, as well as Brexit, it would be very tough for conservatives to assemble a coalition. Or at the very least, it would be very tough to assemble a coalition and then continue and finish Brexit, which is kind of what the whole big theme of the UK Conservative Party is right now. Um, so it's one of those things where it's conceivable that conservatives could get the biggest share of the vote, but if Jeremy Corbyn could get everybody united in a not <laughs> Boris Johnson vote, that Jeremy Corbyn could end up becoming the next prime minister of the United Kingdom. And that would be really bad. I don't think we in the United States are prepared for that. And I don't think you know, all, all these things that I just listed off was in a Washington Post editorial. But the United Kingdom could get taken over by an anti-American maniac. Right. That's what the headline should be. And it's not. And I don't think the people in the United States are paying much attention to the UK elections at all. The fact that you know, AOC can look at this and say, ah, I'm voting for the labor guy. I hope people elect the labor guy. Or she's not voting, but she's, you know, she's, she's polling for him. I think it indicates that there's just this widespread obliviousness as to just how radical Corbyn is. And the idea that he's just you know, uh, Bernie Sanders with a different accent. No, 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 no. He is a vehemently, he's not merely socialist. He is against Britain as it currently exists and certainly against the British alliances as they currently exist. Well, let's hope that uh, the British voters, above all, are paying close attention here. He's been around for a long time, so I don't think it's a mystery of where he stands on a whole variety of issues and where he would try to lead the U.K. But sometimes when you have huge issues overshadowing an election like Brexit, uh, people miss the, the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees, however that particularly applies to the, the U.K. elections today. But uh, let's hope that Boris Johnson is ultimately the winner there. Uh, Jim, let's uh, talk briefly about figs now before we get back to the squad. Uh, this is now, what are we, less than two weeks from Christmas. You're running out of time, but you're not out of time in terms of getting those last-minute gifts for people. And like we talked about the other day, I'm sure you've got your list pretty much filled for your immediate family or your extended family, maybe a teacher, maybe some coworkers. 
Uh, but what about some other people who do a lot of important work uh, in your life? And we're talking about your doctor, uh, their nurses, their medical professionals, maybe even their front office staff uh, who make it much less painful to go through the paperwork when you come in. They actually smile at you, unlike some offices. Uh, and it is as pleasant as it can possibly be when you're going to the doctor. And a lot of times it's the front office folk that uh, wear the scrubs too. And, and the doctor is actually the one who's not. They're wearing the, the lab coat and maybe just a, a, a dress if it's a woman or, or a shirt and tie if it's the guy. But uh, Figs is here for all the medical professionals and even the non-medical professionals in your life to get the gift for those who give the most. Now, Figs creates the highest quality medical apparel so that medical professionals look their best, feel their best, and perform at their best every day. Fig scrubs are infused with antimicrobial properties to control odors. They are ridiculously soft. They are moisture wicking and feature a four-way stretch. Not one, not two, not three, four-way stretch. Figs are made with yoga waistbands and come in a variety of styles from classic straight legs to joggers and skinny styles. Figs make great gifts for all of the awesome human beings in your life. And I guess only human beings. If you have some sort of animal or other species, I suppose you could help them out too. Figs gift cards are available. So the next time your doctor, nurse, dentist, dermatologist, or pediatrician saves the day, tell them thank you by sending them figs. It's a little cold now for the activewear jacket that I got from figs, but I'll tell you, that thing uh, is one of my favorites now to wear when it's just a little bit warmer. Anything from the low to mid 40s up to about 60 degrees. It's lightweight, it's flexible, it's got tons of pockets, uh, perfect for uh, doctors and, and other staff who need to use it uh, in their own offices or in hospitals. You can carry a lot of the things you need there, pens, stethoscopes, thermometers, whatever else uh, that, you're, that you're taking as you take care of the patient. So uh, this can be uh, a great way to say thank you. And if you don't know exactly what to get them, again, Jim mentioned the gift cards. Uh, so show how much you care at the end of this year with FIGS. Figs is going to make it easy for you by providing 15% off your first purchase using our promo code MARTINI. So get ready to love the scrubs. Head to wearfigs, W-E-A-R-F-I-G-S dot com and enter our code MARTINI at checkout. All right, Jim, back to our lousy martinis. This one's officially crazy. And back to the squad, because we mentioned that uh, AOC is cozying up to Jeremy Corbyn, who is clearly uh, anti-Semitic based on all evidence available to us. Uh, two other members of the squad have uh, certainly given evidence to that end as well, mainly Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. Rashida Tlaib is back in the headlines in the wake of that horrific kosher supermarket shooting in Jersey City on Tuesday. On Twitter, a group called If Not Now put out a, uh, a remembrance and an honoring of one of the victims. And uh, Tlaib tweets back, this is heartbreaking. White supremacy kills. Now, if you follow this story at all, and the media has lost much of its interest uh, because of the circumstances involved in the shooting, you know that the killers in this situation were not white. They were black. They're members of the black Hebrew Israelites, or at least have connections or past connections to them. The uh, synagogue uh, with connections to one of the shooters is uh, distancing themselves here, Jim. But uh, we know what's going on here. Rashida Tlaib was either completely uninterested in learning the details or just went with her own preconceived biases anyway. So what do you make of the way that uh, this story has been covered and how Tlaib is responding here? Pull up a chair, folks. I've got story time. Um, uh, Picture me as a probably 18 to 19-year-old tadpole college student just starting to in journalism. 
uh, and we have to cover something. We, we've been told by our professor, if you go out, find, I'm going to George Washington, uh, I'm in Washington, D.C., and I need to find some event to cover and to submit an article like that. And I and another student are looking around for something. We want something big. We want something dramatic. There was a meeting at a uh, some convention center or something like that in downtown Washington, D.C., between members of the Nation of Islam, you all recognize them with the, uh, uh, the bow ties and all that, and members of the Lyndon LaRouche organization. Now, for those of you not familiar, Lyndon LaRouche organization were the folks who usually would see outside the subway with little folding card tables full of, uh, of pamphlets and stuff like that, trying to convince you that there was a terrible, vast conspiracy. The Queen of England was very involved in it. Uh, the CIA, mind control, all kinds of uh, you know lunatic conspiracy theories. But also, come on, you know who's always at the root of all these you know conspiracy theories, right, Greg? It's always the Jews. It's always they find some way to say, ah, and you know what? Also, the Jews are in on it too. And so in a very twisted way, if you've ever wondered, boy, what would it take to get blacks, anti-Semites, and white anti-Semites working together? This was the, this event. They came together, and there was this one. You, all these people who were so filled with hate found a way to reach across the racial divide and say, hey, this third group, we really hate them. Aren't they just the worst? You know, Aren't they the root of all of our problems? It was a vivid moment, and uh, I remember my, my classmate, like, we've got to get out of here. You know, It was, um, it was surreal. But it's also this great illustrating point that there is no one group that is villainous in our life there is no one group that is capable of hate there is not just one group that that fans the flames of intolerance you know <laughs> hatred is it's like a benetton ad greg <laughs> hatred comes in every hue and color you know all kind of stuff and i think what we saw here from from the squad and also from the way the good portion of the media treated this that they didn't initially they didn't see any particular you know uh, uh hate component of it oh it was just a shootout in front of a particular grocery store well no it's a kosher grocery store and then, of course, then, of course, they jump to conclusions. Ah, well, it must be a white supremacist. Well, no, these guys are, I mean, occasionally you see members of this group or a member of this particular uh, philosophy preaching outside of the basketball arena in Washington, D.C. They are lunatics. You generally give them a wide berth. Uh, but they're very big on the idea that they are the true Israelites and that pale-skinned Jewish people are imposter. I don't know, they're, they're nuts, basically. But the gist is... We end up with a situation in which um, there, there's a you know there's anti-Semitism and people are they, they automatically say okay well it's got to be the Charlottesville guys, it's got to have a white face. Well, look, I hate to break this to you, America, but anti-Semitism can come in a whole bunch of different varieties, and you shouldn't be ignoring any of it or downplaying any of it or making excuses for any of it just because it happens to they say they're on your side. I'm going to say this flat out: if you're anti-Semitic, you're not on the conservative side. You're not on the good guy side. And you're an opponent to all of us. We ought to treat these people this way. Um, but kind of a, I think a very revealing moment from the squad and the fact, by the, by the way, that Jeremy Corbyn and so many labor uh, allies of his have made comments like this indicates, you know, there are a lot of days it feels like anti-Semitism is gaining ground instead of losing ground in our society. And a lot of people want to make excuses for it. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And the media's varying degrees of interest based on who the perpetrators are has become blatantly obvious in a lot of different situations here. And they'll go wall to wall on the shooting itself. But once the details start to come in and it doesn't fit the identity politics that they want to push, it's, oh, look what the market did today. Sometimes it is that blatant because you think, you know, dare I say if it had been a bunch of neo-Nazis or alt-writers who shot up a Jersey City grocery store, would this be no big deal? Would this be a small local story in the New York area? I, I'm finding a very tough time to believe that. All right. Let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And back to our 
neighborhood here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And as you well know, I'm sure, uh, Democrats poised to take control of the legislature in January. Democratic Governor Ralph Northam. So they're already drafting up their gun control legislation. And until very recently, they were planning to not only ban certain types of guns, they were planning to make it illegal to possess them, even if you bought them when they were legal. Well, Northam has backed away from that as he's seen dozens and dozens and dozens of counties and other locales inside Virginia declare themselves sanctuaries for the Second Amendment. And uh, if their local officials, their constitutional officers, mainly their sheriffs, uh, decide that the uh, new laws are unconstitutional, they have the freedom to not enforce them. Well... That's still not sitting very well with uh, Democrats. Uh, two of them talked with the Washington Examiner. One is Jerry Connolly, who, Jim, I believe is your congressman. Not that you voted for him. but He's uh, nearly my neighbor, actually. <laughs> Just a little bit down the street and around the corner. Oh, wow. Uh, he says that the law is the law. If that becomes the law, you don't have a choice. Not if you're a sworn officer of the law. But that's the mild comment. This is all according to BearingArms.com, by the way. They're uh, aggregating all this. Democratic Virginia Congressman Don McEachin suggested cutting off state funds to counties that do not comply with any gun control measures that pass in Richmond. Quote, they certainly risk funding because if the sheriff's department is not going to enforce the law, they're going to lose money. And the cherry on top of the Sunday, McEachin also noted that Democratic Virginia Governor Ralph Northam could call in the National Guard if necessary. So, uh, Jim, if you let that guy have the AR-15, oh, man, we're going to have troops just tromping down the street and funds getting cut off to the county. I'm sure that'll go fine. Nobody's trying to take your guns, you gun nuts, (laughs) except for the U.S. National Guard. It is worth noting that the governor did eventually backtrack on this and say, we're going to grandfather people into this. Um, I mean, he changed on that faster than, you know, recognizing a yearbook photo. <laughs> um, the other you know, observation here is that uh, the party that has always believed in, uh, uh, you know, sanctuary cities and it's totally OK to admit that, by golly, our immigration laws are unjust and, and you know, some sort of oppression and no one is obligated to uh, support them if they don't feel like it. You know, we need to have sanctuary counties, sanctuary cities. Now, all of a sudden, we can't have any exceptions. Now, all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. You know, you don't get to decide which laws you want to enforce. OK. All right. It's a sudden <laughs> dramatic reversal. We made fun of them a little bit earlier for this one. Um, but notice I mean, just how far these folks are willing to go, right? I mean, the idea of, you know, well, we might have to call out the troops to enforce this particular law. Look, if you have to call out the National Guard and there's not rioting going on, like there's no, there's no ongoing crime going on, and you want to kick down doors into people's houses, now you've got a sign of, of you're, you're actually almost looking for a conflict. You're trying to create a conflict rather than existing one. These are all law-abiding gun owners. If someone has not used their gun in a crime yet, then they kind of do, under the presumption of innocence, you really should not be spending a lot of government resources into saying, hey, how can we get that gun out of that house? That gun in that house is not a threat to anybody because they're responsible law-abiding gun owners. If they're not responsible law-abiding gun owners, then you can do something. But, you know, that's too much to ask for this. You can almost get the feeling that there's almost like this, you know, kid on Christmas morning vibe to Democrats when they talk about gun confiscation and this sort of thing. They, just, they can't wait to get to it. And it's... um very revealing that in a culture with so many problems that we have, so many cultures relating to gun violence, right? All the number of people who have uh, uh, this this Saudi guy who figured out a way to get a gun, even though he's a foreign citizen, um, all the illegal guns, straw purchasers out in Chicago, all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. It's the law-abiding gun owner in Virginia. That's who we want to go after. That's who we've identified is the biggest problem in our society. 
Jim, uh, it's too early to tell, probably, but uh, we have another election next year. If these Democrats go hog wild on gun control and abortion and so many other things once they have power in January, could this actually, if we highlighted enough, actually end up working in Republicans' favor as kind of a uh, canary in the coal mine of, hey, are you really sure you want to give the Democrats power again in Washington? Because when they get power, this is what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think it's an option. I think, you know, the number of folks who've turned out for these, you know, county meetings and uh, on on creating sanctuary counties has been pretty, pretty revealing. You mentioned it from it's from Bearing Arms. Uh, my buddy Cam Edwards has written about quite a few of these cases across the state. The other thing which is worth noting, and this is just kind of a, a, another observation. So, Greg, I don't know if you noticed it, but they're talking that Virginia has suddenly discovered that we don't have enough money for roads. <laughs> and uh, we need we may need to raise the gas tax. Now, we just had state legislative elections for the state Senate and for the state General Assembly. I checked with uh, uh, several, you know, Virginia Republican sources. Do you know how many Virginia Democrats campaigned on a pledge to raise the state gas tax? I'm going to go with zero. You are correct. <laughs> Give that man a prize. Those of us who follow politics and are on the right side of the spectrum are not surprised by this. But it's this recurring pattern where Democrats do not run on a particular idea because they know it's unpopular. No one wants to pay more for taxes on gasoline. They get elected and all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, we never could have foreseen we could need this. We're just going to have to do this, I guess. And sorry, voters, we, we would have mentioned it if we noticed it. Again, we're, how, many gov- how many people were saying we will call out the National Guard to collect guns in this state? This, this is probably the most dangerous moment um, in a democracy where one side has, has you know, won a majority. It's almost a semi-unexpected majority. And now they've convinced themselves that whatever they do, the public's going to love. And in worst case scenario, they're not going to get a chance to vote on them again for another two years. Yeah, that was the Bill Clinton MO, too. Remember, he was planning middle class tax cuts in the 92 campaign, and then he got into office and he's like, I never knew that the books were this bad. And uh, and then it was just five, six years ago. Remember Bob McDonnell, our great governor, Bob McDonnell, teaming up with Democrats to provide the greatest tax increase in Virginia history to pay for our roads that would solve all our congestion problems. They're back for more. Yeah, I think believe the on sixty sixth the toll was now something like forty six dollars or something like that at its highest. Yes, aren't you feeling better, DC commuters? Tolls, taxes, and more taxes, and then confiscation on the side. Good to be in Virginia, Jim. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. So glad you were along with us today. Head to wearfigs.com and get that gift for your favorite medical professional. Enter the promo code Martini at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. Subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Leave us a great review at iTunes if you don't mind. We always appreciate that. And please join us again Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.